Before we get into today's episode, I've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better. Those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an Amazon gift card. So there's a link in the description for the episode. Click it, fill out the questionnaire, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Now for today's episode. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show, and I am joined with Drummer Geddon, so he's a drummer, and he also mixes things like DJing, mixing at the same time, so thanks for joining me, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Mike, I'm really stoked, this is awesome. So how did you actually dive into drumming plus, because you do some kind of DJing thing with it as well, so what possessed you to combine the two? Yeah, that's a great question. So I wound up... um getting a call back in the day, you know, I've been a session drummer in New York City. I uh, produce a lot of records for a lot of artists and then, you know, also started music directing a lot of artists, band leading and all that. I got a call to drum um, with a major pop star. Uh, his name was Adesite. He was on Warner Brothers Records. And the music director guy calls me and goes, hey man, I need you to be my cyborg drummer. I'm like, yeah, man, I got you, whatever you need. He's like, but, uh, but what's that? What's, what is it? He's like, all right, I need you to run tracks. I need you to basically DJ and drum. I need you to sing back up and hype the crowd and make sure the band sounds great on stage, band lead and everything on the tours. You know, we did Lollapalooza. We did, um, you know, a Bamboozle Fest. You know, we toured uh, with 303 and Gym Class Heroes, really great tours, you know, a lot of poppy, rocky, dance poppy kind of stuff. Um, and as I got more and more into it, I wound up actually uh, noticing a lot of people were seeing me juggle all those balls back there more than maybe like the artists and the rest of the guys on stage. I was like, you know what? I'll cut out the middle, man. I'll just do the thing myself as Drumageddon and I'll just get, you know, singers from The Voice and American Idol friends of mine, throw them on tracks and I'll just start touring myself. And now I'm on BMG Records, signed to a major label and here I am. <laughs> Now you've done some things in public as well. You, you've taken your your skill that you have is quite clearly a skill. You've taken that and I've gone public with it. Like I've seen a couple of videos of you going through cities while doing your, your thing. So talk to us a bit about how that started and how it went. What, what, what did it take to put that together? Well, that's actually the, the ultimate origin of the whole Drumageddon situation. I wound up... Um, you know, as I'm playing with a bunch of different people, I wind up actually uh, recording at this really cool studio a buddy of mine owned in New York City in, in Brooklyn, New York, you know, a little outside, you know, and uh, I get to the studio, we're actually hanging out. It's like, man, you got to check out the roof. It's really cool. You can see New York City skyline. I'm walking up the um, the the steps and everything and I'm looking and it looks kind of cyberpunky because it's like, you know, there's a bunch of graffiti everywhere. And then you get to the roof, there's graffiti, you see this amazing view. I'm like, man, I got to do a drum solo up here or something like, yeah, that'd be great. Well, what are we going to do? I was like, you know what? I think I could probably play this entire building in one take and we'll just follow me up the building like um, a lip dub, like the old lip dubs on YouTube, you know, that whole groups of people come up. I was like, you know what? Let me do this. I'll call it drum again. I fully spelled it out. You know, I did the first one and uh, put it up on YouTube. It went viral. I was like, oh, crap, this is cool. Second one I did uh, across Times Square, got all the permits and all that. The third one I did um, 
uh, was Queens, right in front of the big globe unisphere that was in Men in Black and everything. And I yeah. battled myself and all that and everything. But then I realized after doing all that, it was really cool. It was super, super time consuming. I mean, we're talking like six months to plan some of those because I had a whole team of people um, helping me out with the whole thing. And then I had to stage and time everything out. And, you know, like the Times Square shoot that we did took, I think they gave us, okay, it's like, all right, so I call up the um, New York mayor's office for the permits. And they're like, okay, so it's going to be a million dollars for the permit. I'm like, what else he got? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, all right, okay. I got, I got a $65,000 permit. Um, if you want a certain day and time and everything, all right, I can't really do $65,000, but I might be able to find some investors. Couldn't find investors. Like, all right, look, I really want to do this. Uh, what else can you do? It's like, well, Jay-Z and Alicia Keys went to Times Square early Sunday morning, you know, and they had a two hour block. We can give you that two hour block for 200 bucks. I'm like, in, sign, bring me in. <laughs> and then it downpoured literally up to almost the minute. We threw the drums up with the whole team of 15 people. I did I think it was seven quick takes. We took take number four. And then the minute we put the last thing in, in the van, it started pouring again. So it was like this real, real intense thing. But that's the beginning of the whole drum again thing. Then I realized, okay, I need to have my own original music. I need to remix stuff myself. I need to do my own artist brand. And drum again spelled out is so big. It's like too big to put on posters. So I just truncated a D-R-M-A-G-D-N. It's a little bit, you know, Skrillexy looking. It's very EDM, which is what I do. And uh, I realized I was actually Drumageddon. It wasn't a thing that I do. It's just a thing that I am. I'm just the crazy guy who's always doing crazy drum stuff. So that's the story. <laughs> I, I also know that like drumming takes, takes a lot of coordination as well. Like I was stupid enough to try it when I was younger and I couldn't do it. I couldn't get my hands to work properly. My feet were all over the place. And yeah, I've seen people do DJing, mixing, and that takes a lot of like concentration and your hands have to move a certain way. The timing needs to be just right. And yet you're there doing both. Okay, so I'll break this down for a lot of people too. So I do drum and DJ simultaneously. At the exact same time, I never stop either. So the way that I do it is I, uh, on that same tour, the uh, Lollapalooza, um, I did Warp Tour also, which is a big emo kind of fest. They did a dance stage the year that I was on. That was the stage I was on. So a bunch of DJs, dance pop artists. Um, that was the guy I was playing with. Um, and we wound up, you know, basically uh, checking out all the other acts on our stage, hanging out with them. They were all really cool. Um, but on the van, you know, on the bus and everything, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, these guys are just pushing play as DJs. You know, they don't have any talent, whatever. It's like, all right, OK, cool. And I'm just kind of going along with it. One day it clicked. I looked I looked at these DJs and they were bringing two to three times the amount of people on, you know, on uh, in the crowd as we're on stage. You know, we had a, right. a good crowd, but yeah. they were bringing two to three times and then it clicked. It's not just band or artists on stage. And then crowd, it, it's actually the guy on stage along with the crowd all enjoying the music that's being made and their production skill behind the scenes is amazing. And they're just basically like um, a guy who's leading the party and it clicked and I was like, this is awesome. That's the reason why I got into music is to actually have 
that synergy, the chemistry with the crowd. I got really excited. I wound up hanging out on the DJ bus more than my own bus. They gave me Ableton. They gave me a bunch of plugins. They gave me all their sample banks. They showed me how to make music and what to do on Ableton. And that's where I started to really get into this side of things. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is the way that I'm actually headed. Um, and it is actually, it's more in depth than just pressing play and putting your hands up, right? But, um, but it is simpler, I would say, than some, you know, coordination with drumming and everything. But I've drummed for everybody at this point. I'm, you know, I've played crazy, crazy gigs, the most complex music, easiest stuff. Uh, and I can basically do it in my sleep. So I can actually play with the one hand as I'm actually DJing with the others. But I have trigger pads that I set up so I never stop playing. So I don't have to put the sticks down and like, you know, do the whole turntables. I have everything on trigger pads. So I'm able to fade in between tracks keep on playing, I'm yelling into the mic, you know, running around stage, whatever and everything. So, but it's a really in-depth thing. It's really crazy, it takes a lot of coordination, but uh, it's also something that's really fun and it's very different. So I love doing it. What were you like when you started then? Like I'm picturing like sticks flying everywhere, pressing the wrong buttons, timing is completely off. Like I'm picturing someone that's never really done it before and it just being like a, floppy sock on stage and it never working so what was it like when you started have you had any mishaps any mistakes try to like humanize yourself a little because this is getting a bit silly now so like, oh no it, it, like it, is. Learning it is <laughs> and actually that's a really good point so i've been doing it for i guess about technically if you look at it about 10 years uh the minute that skrillex kind of hit the scene is when i started to really get into it but I started to just kind of do it a little bit on the side at small clubs in New York and everything. Uh, it was basically around the pandemic that the Drumageddon thing really blew up to what it is. Um, and then I started playing the bigger places and festivals and clubs. Um, but when I started to get back into it, taking it seriously, uh, I loaded the pads up. You know, they called me last minute. It was during the pandemic. I needed to fill in for another act. Quick, jump into the club. It's a full packed house. All right, so I jump in. I didn't get a chance to like write everything out and at least know what songs were gonna be on what pads. So I literally played musical roulette. And I would literally go, oh crap, you know, and I would hit, I would hit a pad. I had no idea what was on the pad. I'd go, oh crap, and, and you know, just start playing along with that. And then I'd fade into the next one. This one was, and I couldn't, you know, um, I was doing it that way. That's when the crowd would be like, oh, that's an interesting choice to go from that to that. And I'm like, I know, I didn't expect it either. <laughs> <laughs> but then as time went on, I got more organized with everything and I had a couple you know, days to prepare. Um, it got smoother and better, but uh, a lot of the clubs um, in New York City, if you're playing like regular dance clubs or nightclubs or whatever, sometimes the crowd's right up on you. And we're talking crazy people, drunk people, you know, I had, you know, one guy continue to fall on the pads, fall on the pads. And then the last time he <laughs> fell on the pads, everything got unplugged. And I'm just sitting there going like, oh, no, I literally just grabbed the mic and start screaming Seven Nation Army, which is uh, ba -da 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 -da. and the crowd starts chanting it like a soccer or a football match. Right. And uh <laughs> As I'm I'm doing, I'm playing the drum still and I'm getting my tech to like, hey, we gotta fix it. And then by the time they, you know, I was done with the tune, I was able to 
hit the next pad and keep it going, luckily. But, you know, those are the things that you have to like, okay, this is this is still live, man. This is not canned. And and people people underestimate the um, the ability to read a crowd like, oh, yeah, DJing is easy. Just play stuff. People like, man, I, I get like everyone holding up their phones. Please play this, play this, play that. Sometimes it's too obscure. I can't play it. Sometimes it's a tune that's like, really? Do I have to play Dancing Queen? Really? You know, like whatever it is. Like, Dancing come on, Queen. guys. Yeah, but that's those are things that happen all the time. So, and you just try to basically keep everyone happy, keep everyone dancing, moving, being excited and everything. And, you know, very intense. So, yeah, that's the vibe. <laughs> Do I forget the impression, though, that like you're thankful that they don't really know that it is music roulette. Like it all comes together in a weird and wonderful way. I, I, I get that. But then it's kind of thinking, yeah, but they don't know that it's all random and I have no idea what it is. If I can carry it off well enough, no one will know. Well, that was the first couple gigs. And then since then, everything is completely sketched out where I basically have about 500 songs that I have loaded in and I know where everything is now. So I basically go like, all right, so... This crowd is really digging emo. So here comes Fall Out Boy. Here comes Panic of the Disco, Paramore, whatever. Oh, this crowd loves the throwback 80s stuff. I'll do remixes of that stuff. But everything is now organized in categories, just like a real DJ. Those first couple gigs were really, really crazy, though. The And the musical roulette was the first couple. But now it's been really locked in for, for years at this point. And people really dig it. And they're saying... You know, they haven't seen this kind of a thing before. So the best part is uh, a lot, of, even to this day, like last week when I was playing, they're like, oh, you guys were great. You know, I'm like, it's just me, man. <laughs> Who else are you seeing? Because I run around <laughs> stage a lot and, and whatever. And they just look up. It's like, oh, yeah, it looks like there's a bunch of guys. Oh, nope, God. just me. <laughs> just drum again. <laughs> so let's talk about the public things then. So you got your permits, you're figuring out, I imagine, the route you're going to take so that it all fits within one take or whatever the case is. Like, talk us through, because you mentioned six months of planning. So I imagine there's a lot that goes into that. I imagine you like frequent visits to the actual place that you want to record it, figuring out where everything is, visualizing it. But talk us through what the six months would look like. Yeah, and so the inspiration behind those Drumageddon drum solos initially before I did the drummer DJ project, which is my main thing now, this is all I do. Um, that whole situation was, okay, my favorite drummer is Buddy Rich. He's a big jazz drummer from the 1940s. You know, he played with all the major acts of the time. One of the best drummers of all time, everyone agrees. Um, he played the Muppet Show, you know, back in the day. And, you know, as he came out of his dressing room, which was the Muppets dressing room, he played the actual, the actual stage on the way up, you know, the backstage onto stage and everything that started soloing. I was like, that's so cool. And I look at myself, you know, with the Drumageddon thing or, you know, the, you know, drum solo thing. I look at myself as like a gritty reboot of something that Buddy Rich would have done if he lived long enough and had a crazy mohawk and came up in, you know, today's day and age and everything. So that's how I, I visualize the whole thing. And the first one was, you know, basically playing up an entire Brooklyn building in one take. I went up the steps, you know, went up the elevator. Each time I get on the elevator, there's a different drum configuration that I had other people set up. So it looks like, wait, how did that change? And it's like, did he do a different take? No, it's all one continuous take. 
And uh, that one day they couldn't open, I think it was the sixth floor. So I had to go up an extra bunch of flights of stairs. And let me tell you, like I couldn't walk for, I don't know, a week and a half because so many steps I had to drum up <laughs> yeah. on that thing. Yeah. And then, you know, planned having, you know, really good, um, really good lighting, the golden hour as they call it in film to have the skyline behind me as I'm going crazy on the big kit. Um, and then the other one was, uh, the other one, the, the Manhattan one, the Times Square one was the most intense. We only had that two hour window. So I had to hit those takes. I actually put a click in my in-ears and I made sure everything lined up to the click so I can stay on, I, I didn't last too long on any part. Like every part had to be quick enough so then it you know can be watchable. The first video was eight and a half minutes. Second video was like five and a half. Third video was like four, three and a half or something on those three. Um, but yeah, it took a lot of planning. I had a whole crew. I had um, you know a bunch of friends and different actors and different people to come in. I had like a group of girls you know show up and uh, you know I played on different items from their purses and everything and you know, whatever. It was just really fun. It was like a little. It was like cheeky, you know, viral video, early YouTube kind of stuff. And, and people dug it for the time. It was cool. Um, but it was, but the real stuff is now obviously the Drumageddon brand, which is the drummer DJ situation. So do people actually ask for your style as well? Like people come to you for the style, not just drumming, not just DJing, but they actually want you for your thing, for the mix of the two. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I just played um, a sold out show at Royal Albert Hall uh, during the King's Coronation weekend, which was crazy. But they brought me on as drum again. And they're like, all right, so we need you to, you know, do your thing. Um, but it was with it was me along with an entire Hungarian orchestra and a Hungarian famous um, piano player. And these guys, you know, were amazing. And he was the headline. I'm the big, you know, famous European his name's Havachi, you know, H-A-V-A-S-I, unbelievable piano player. Um, he wanted me to come in and do the thing. But the funny part is like, you know, I'm getting on, I do all my stuff and then we're interacting, we're having fun. It's the orchestra, really, really amazing. Crowd is loving it and everything. But in the in-ears, they only are speaking to each other for all the cues, like come up, do this, do that and whatever in Hungarian. And then I'm the only guy who spoke English only. So then they would go like, you know, Hungarian, Hungarian. And all of a sudden it's like, Charlie, get up, get up. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, shoot. And then go to the front of the stage and bow. Okay, cool. Come back. Okay, Charlie, we're done. You can get off stage now. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. You just, yeah. So that even at like a Royal Albert Hall, like there's always really funny things that go on. That's, that's a fun one, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, people call me to basically do this. And, you know, I got signed to BMG Records, as I was saying. Um, and when I got signed, they wind up right around the same time I got signed. Uh, they're the fourth biggest major label in the world. So it's like Sony, Warner Brothers, Universal, and then BMG. So BMG actually bought the rights to George Harrison's full catalog and George Harrison from the Beatles. And I love the Beatles. Who doesn't love the Beatles? But I love something by the Beatles. It's my favorite Beatles song of all time. And they're like, yeah, you want to remix it? I'm like, yeah, so I'll remix it. It's like I call up my friend Michelle Ray, who's from The Voice. And I call up, you know, some of my buddies who um, uh, I basically put together 
a bunch of Grammy-winning musician friends of mine for an orchestra. And then I redid the track from scratch, you know, produced everything from the ground up. And then I remixed it, you know, with a girl singer, basically, and uh, gone viral on top of all the other ones. And I think I'm up to, I think it's about 25 million total plays and views. That wow. track is up to 5 million on all the social platforms. I got like 700,000 verified followers. And I think, I think it's about 100,000 that I hit every single live stream I do now. And this is all from basically during the shutdown event, you know, pushing on digital, pushing on digital, blowing up and having things go viral. And people like, what is this guy even doing? Like he's drumming and he's DJing. It's like, I don't even get what I'm seeing. It's, you know, you get, you're, you guys are great, you know? <laughs> you, you must know? get that a lot and you kind of sit there thinking, yeah, yeah, both my hands do do amazing things. Yeah. 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 And, and my foot, I guess, you know, I like to, I also <laughs> like to play, well, yeah. I like to play standing and seated. Um, a lot of the shows run and gun when I just have to throw stuff up for a festival or for a nightclub, I'll just usually take the, the smaller kit that I just basically play the, um, the standing the whole time. But yeah, the kit behind me is a massive kit that um, you can kind of see. You can look on the, the website and everything. You can see it there. But it's, um, it's half seated, half standing. There's drums behind my head that I can play and everything and, you know, jump and scream. And then there's, there's a mic and, you know, the pads and the DJ gear and everything are up there. Um, but yeah, all of that, you know, the Something remix came out really, really cool. A um, lot of really good press on that. Obviously, we're doing this show, which is freaking awesome. So thanks. Thanks to Eileen and Jimmy for hooking this up. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I got into AP News and Yahoo News, New York Daily News, Broadway World, all the big EDM outlets. And everyone in the press loved it. And I thought there was going to be more pushback for this version. And that pushback came <laughs> on Facebook, of all places. Oh. A post I did kind of went viral, but it hit 45-year-olds, like 65-year-olds. I was looking at the analytics and how dare you touch the Beatles? You know, one guy just wrote the word blasphemy. So I said, hey, you know, it's not necessarily everyone's cup of holy water, but, you know, it's for the younger generation. It's trying to bring the Beatles and George Harrison's legacy, you know. And in the video, if you check out the music video, I went to every single place the Beatles went to when they first came to New York. I didn't even realize they came to New York as the very first place they landed. They flew into JFK, stayed at the Plaza Hotel, shows at Carnegie Hall, and then they did the iconic Ed Sullivan show. And that's all, I mean, I live there. I live on Christopher and right next to Bleecker. I'm in the West Village. I was like, I'll just go to all the places, build the music video around that. And you could actually see, I have all the date and time stamps of all the places and I'm there. And it was a really cool self Beatles tour I went on. And it's a really cool video because of that. It's like you see where they really came. Um, and for the actual artwork, and I'll hold this up too, um, it's Abbey Road. So I literally, right on Christopher Street, right on 7th Ave, you actually can see I really shot that. Wow. So Manish Gosalia and um, Alex Yarborough helped me basically comp the whole thing together. But I just did all four of the different, you know, you know, it's me with... Um, a keyboard, it's me with sticks and headphones, it's me with a drum, and then it's me with the pads that I DJ with. 
And this is literally 7th Ave. That's my street. I'm walking towards my apartment. And yeah, I really did the feet. You know, this is during the winter too. So this is like 20, 30 degrees out Fahrenheit. I don't know what that would be Celsius, but it's uh, it literally was freaking freezing. I put my real feet. I'm sure I communicable diseases from the you know from the new york city <laughs> pavement and everything oh, yeah. you know i don't even know what i have but but yeah i mean did the real shot that's a real comp of me and we almost got run over a couple times we didn't so it was good so <laughs> i mean it sounds like you've had to get pretty good at thinking on your feet and i know you put a lot of it down to preparation now but it sounds like you still balance that out with quite a lot of thinking on your feet, handling whatever happens. I'm like, okay, well, I can do this and I can do this. And then people are throwing things at you or they're leaning on your decks or whatever it is. And it just sounds like you're having to learn how to get pretty good at just going with it and still doing whatever it is with whatever you're given. It sounds like that's quite a a task that you set yourself as well. It's kind of like, okay, well, I'll have to think on my feet now. I've got, especially with the, the Royal Albert Hall thing, where all of a sudden they translate to your last minute that you've got to dive on and do whatever it is and then run back again as if it's last minute. Why? Well, because they're all, all the Hungarian speaking first and you're last kind of thing. Yes. So you've got to rush yes. and to, to fit it all in. So how do you handle that environment of being able to do things without a lot of preparation i have some of your preparation taken away because things just happen on the day that's a really good question so when i first got that call with um the warner brothers artist to be the cyborg drummer you know which is basically the start of the drumageddon live you know thing um the minute that i got off the phone i realized i always wanted to get in a drum you know electronic drums and programming and all that at that and only produced and recorded acoustic instruments. I didn't really get into the programming until later on, which is after that and during that. So at that point I said, yes, of course I'll do it. Great, I'll see you, I'll see you in a week for the very first rehearsals. Like, sounds great. I hang up the phone, I run to Guitar Center. I'm like, I have no electronic gear whatsoever. Crap, I went there, I bought everything. I didn't know what to buy. I'm, like getting home, plugging things in wrong. I'm on YouTube. I spent the entire week and I didn't sleep at all. I finally got it working like the day of. I come to the rehearsal. They're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Let's, let's you know, get different sounds in this and that. Great. And I'm trying to figure out how to do it. And then I end up like getting it together just in time for the, the last rehearsal. Artist comes in, he's happy. We do a, a warm-up show at a um, college and then... <laughs> We play, we opened for Bon Jovi. That's the second show. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh my God, please work, please work. Uh, the computer went down for some of the backing tracks. Not my fault. Wow. It was the uh, the other guy, you know, yeah. who was basically running that. And I had everything on the pads basically backed up for individual sections. So in case anyone wants to do uh, a part of a song multiple times, it loops. So I basically saved the show by playing every single part of all the rest of the songs because the thing, yeah. So you have to be able to back everything up. You have to know where everything is, be on top of it. Um, but yeah, it's that's how my live career has gone this entire time. Like another time I played the Today Show, right? 
And I'm getting back from the NAMM show. You know, I've got a bunch of endorsements and all that for uh, sticks, uh, drum heads and drums and cymbals and all that stuff. Pisces, Pearl, Vic Firth, Evans, Roland, uh, shout out to them. But um, I'm coming back, you know, and I get a call like, hey, you need to music direct a band, put a whole band together for uh, a Nickelodeon artist. Um, it's a group of brothers who sound like the Jackson 5. They just won this big competition show, reality show, and uh, we need you to do it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 that's cool. So I rush back and literally fly directly to uh, the studio <laughs> to just start doing it. And I got the tracks on the on my computer. I'm just like putting everything together, call my friends, we jump in. And then I also did a K-pop thing with 88 Rising. They're uh, the K-pop collective basically of, it's almost like the Wu-Tang Clan. And literally they're playing MTV. They're doing uh, the TRL. They rebooted TRL. They wanted me to music direct. That one, they're in the air. And they're like, crap, we need a music director to help us run tracks and do everything, whatever. And they called another buddy of mine. He couldn't do it. And they called me and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And they're like, but we need you to auto-tune all the vocals live. There's three vocalists. I, they only needed two vocalists actually being auto-tuned. The other guy was like, oh, I'm fine. But two vocalists needed live auto-tune. I have a computer that was set up for recording, not for live auto-tuning. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay, cool. I'm calling all my friends. Like, does anyone have a rig? Does it? Now you should be able to do, you figure out, I download um, a program that works with Pro Tools at the time, um, literally get in my car, <laughs> get into tunnel traffic, right? And I'm watching YouTube videos on how to use it. And I get to the first <laughs> rehearsal and it worked, hooray. And then I was on TV the next day, you know? But it's oh, like, these wow. are the things that um, make you lose your hair or at least make your hair stand up. You know what I mean? It's like- <laughs> <laughs> Make your hair stand up, I like that. So it, no, it, I mean, that's it. Yeah, it's almost like you don't actually plan. You just kind of do whatever it is. I mean, it seems like it's all kind of last minute too. Like you're having to get there and do it, and then you're hoping it works. I'm quite glad it did. But does it ever not work? Or is it, <laughs> is it purely kind of like, okay, let's all go in. Do you ever get a bit not complacent, but you think, well, it'd be last minute, but it'd be fine because it's always worked anyway. It'd be all kind of okay. Or do you still feel the, the anxiousness and the not knowing if it'll actually come together at the end? Oh, I've, I'm sure I've lost 20, 30 years of my life from all those exact things <laughs> that I just mentioned. <laughs> Definitely number one. But uh, the one thing, and I'll be more general about what success is. It's, you know, the viewpoint on success. I think this is a very important um, thing to convey to anybody is success is a thing that you are. It's who you are. It's not a thing that you... Um, it's not a bunch of steps that you have to do in a certain order and that whole thing. It's either, are you successful overall or are you not successful? And when you zoom out from that entire perspective, what is a successful drummer, musician, DJ, you know, artist or producer or music director need to do for whatever task you're being thrown into and make sure you do that and you're prepared to do that better than anyone 
in whatever time you have. And then from there, everything else is a cherry on top. It's like, okay, so if you get a last minute call um, to fill in for some big artist or band or whatever, okay, learn all their music backwards and forwards, however the heck it is you need to do it. You need to sneak an iPad up there with you know little crib notes and the charts or whatever that no one sees, great. Just make sure you play the stuff perfectly. And then if things start to go wrong, have some contingency plans. You know, they say the best chess players are the ones who think like 10 moves ahead. So that's generally the way that I, I always think. So yes, there's a lot of stress and craziness on some gigs. Sometimes gigs go really chill and easy and are awesome and you could really enjoy them. But you know, I if if a drum breaks, right? If a snare breaks, what do I do? I've got my backup. Great. Okay, if this floor tom breaks. That's not a big deal. I'll just use the other toms. If the kick drum breaks, I had one gig where I was playing a festival and the kick drum head broke. And the kick drum is a big important part. It's the big bass hit of everything you're doing. So I'm playing and I, I'm able to go like, all right, I've got to now hit the floor tom every time I hit a kick drum. Instead, I'm telling my tech, well, it wasn't even tech. It was the other band's drummer. I'm like, hey, man, can you come and help? And he's like, yeah, you sound great. It's like, no, no, no. Can you come over here? Nah, dude, you're sound. Come over. And he comes over. It's like, oh, crap, your bass drum broke. And we didn't have any time. I'm literally playing the songs, right? And they, they pit stopped like a NASCAR. You know, they took the one kick drum out. They stuck the kick drum in. And by the end of the song, when I needed to play the really fast double bass, I was able to hit the double bass just in time. You know, these are the things that happen. But, you know, I've worked on my coordination enough and practiced enough to where I know how to play the songs with just hands or just my feet or, you know, whatever it is. So there is a lot of preparation. But I think of if in terms of more binary of are, are you successful or are you not? And as long as you were successful, maybe you didn't feel as good about your playing that day or the, the song choices or whatever, but did the crowd have fun? Yes. Was the, the club owner or the festival owner happy? Yes. Did people really dig it online and follow you because of the live stream? Yes. Then it was a great gig. You know, it was successful, you know, and you could always beat yourself up. Oh, I could do. So you try to do better the next time and each gig and each thing you do, you do better. That's, that's generally the vibe that I take on this stuff and, you know, try to zoom out a little bit on it, you know? What kind of things do you do for your coordination? Again, you went through a lot of struggles in early on and you've got to be able to then cope with things as they come along, as you said, and having to be able to do all that live while someone is helping swap things out if they break and all of that kind of stuff. You're able to coordinate all of that and get the timing just about right. That must take a lot of concentration, coordination, moving your hands around, getting out of people's way if you need it, putting them back in at the right time, in the right place. What do you do for... <laughs> you're going to say, well, I drum. That's enough coordination training I need. But <laughs> no. what, did you do anything else to help? Because you mentioned, you know, successful drummers would probably do this. Successful drummers will probably have backups. If you're unsuccessful, it's probably because you don't have the backups, right? So it's having the ability to see yourself in that way, put yourself forward as someone that is successful and think, right, well, if I'm successful, what does that look like? 
I wonder if you do anything else for your coordination to help with all this. Oh, God, yeah. So if ever see the movie Whiplash, have you seen that movie? I haven't seen it, no. Okay, okay. so it's basically like Full Metal Jacket for drummers, right? It's, it's a teacher that's really angry and aggressive, and then it's a student who gets all bloody practicing in this whole thing. But that was kind of my upbringing. So I had teachers that were great, but they were really intense. And yes, I had things thrown at me. I had, you know, yelling and screaming, you know, in my ear and everything. And, you know, I would go home defeated and, and that whole thing. Um, and I was some, you know, punk kid who thought he was really, really great at what I was doing. And I wasn't, you know, I couldn't even hold the sticks. And I had to learn how to rehold the sticks, you know, maybe 13 years into me actually having to do what it is I do. Um, and then once you get down the technique and you get really solid, like an atomic bomb can be going off and I'll still keep time. I'm still able to play. It doesn't matter what's happening. I'm able to still do it because of the training of practicing and the teachers that I had were so intense. I had um, a really great jazz teacher. I had a really great um, clinician rock kind of teacher. And then I, I studied with Tommy Igo, who did uh, Lion King and played with Lauren Hill, a really great session guy in New York. And between all of them, plus me just practicing my, my ass off and going nuts, um, got me really solid in just about everything drum wise. And then I applied that same work ethic to and the same work ethic to music directing. I would hang out with music directors and pick their brain and I'll be like, all right, this and that, use that, do this, do that. Same thing with producing. Um, and then mixing and mastering and everything, and then songwriting. And all of these things are the reason why it appears to be easier for me than other people. It was all the insane amount of prep work and practice, you know, um, that got me to the place where I can actually do this pretty simply. But the other thing is I try to be as efficient as possible. So I do always have that backup snare because that snare is broken on a random gig from you know, before, just like there are two kinds of people, the guy who has the external hard drive backup and the guy who doesn't and hasn't had an entire, like his entire life lost on a dead computer. You know, it's like either there's a guy who did or didn't, that's it. It's like, and I've, I've been the guy who lost everything. And now I'm the guy who always says everything backed up, you know, no matter what, always try to be the boy scout in every single thing and be more prepared than everyone. And you'd be surprised, like even the top, top, top gigs, you know, just like the Royal Albert Hall thing, they're like not used to me, you know, having a drummer show up that early and be that prepared or whatever. No rehearsal, you, you know, just jumping in and playing in, uh, you know, like a two hour show and then doing my own thing and then, you know, doing all the stuff and the arrangements that they sent me. And it's just like, yeah, you just show up and you do it. Whereas a lot of people would need lots of practice and you know, oh, let's sit down and like try to figure everything out. It's just, there's no time for that anymore, you know? So I would say that the center of it is, again, if you want to be successful, look at yourself in the very future. If you snap your fingers and you're everything you ever wanted to be, oh, I want to be the best basketball player in the world, best football player in the world. All right, so you're you right here. What is the person who's the best? Oh, it's, you know, Ronaldo or it's, uh, you know, I don't know, Jordan, right? Whatever sport it is, it's that guy. Okay, what did he do? He just, you know, 
every single day he would shoot those shots every single day he'd practice this this and this and then you get yourself from where you are to where you want to get to and you work backwards from the goal rather than being where you are and you set the goal to get to that's way more difficult i like to look at the goal itself as already being done in the future and then i work backwards until i am where i am and then I, it makes it way way easier and that's how i've done like all the producing music all the stuff you know at a high level you know that's that's the vibe so if somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps or they wanted to be a world-class drummer possibly dj but you never know what would you suggest for them to get better at drumming outside of just practicing more do you have any specific exercises that you would do any drills that you would follow help someone get better at drumming without just drumming all day every day yeah so the drumming thing was really interesting too because i was good i always had a good sound and touch but i had no technique you know and that's what i had to learn from the scratch when i studied with someone like tommy Igo, who's a real top teacher um and in doing so obviously you know i learned how uh, you hit the drum and then you feel kind of a a rebound almost like bouncing a basketball and once you feel that once you get to that level you're basically the beginning of intermediate and from there um the biggest thing for my coordination and that coordination is you know now helped with everything like i could never even dance like look i'm a drummer i do stuff with my hands and then i do stuff with my feet but you know dancing is you're supposed to do the same thing with your right hand and right foot and left hand with left foot whatever there's a whole rhythm but since doing the drummer DJ thing and having to jump in time and get the crowd going and get them dancing, I've had to kind of move a little bit more. And it all comes down to me practicing on a very specific set of pads. A lot of famous drummers, um, I found out, they don't really talk about this. They don't you know, tell people this much. Um, a bunch of them would set up pillows and they would actually practice on pillows doing difficult coordination stuff and there's no rebound. So then it's all you producing all of the stuff. So I went an extra step and I have a kit that is literally basically um, multiple layers that feel like a pillow um, as an actual kit. And ever since I've done that, now when I sit down, I can do this anytime. Neighbors would never complain because it's just completely silent. Um, all of my technique has skyrocketed. And now I can get tunes done and memorize tunes or whatever it is I need to do like that. Because when I sit down on a regular drum set, they actually have some feel and a bounce and everything. There's no bounce on a pillow. So I have a basically almost like a pillow kit that's made of, um, it almost feels like mouse pads put on top of each other. They're like the drum mutes that you would use if you stick them on. But I layered them one, two, three, four, five. There's about five layers of them. So then there's literally just nothing. It's all you. And I did the same thing with the feet. So then that's one real trick that not a lot of people know about. Uh, but Dave Weckl, Dennis Chambers have done pillow, you know, practicing and everything. And those are the guys, those are some of the best drummers of all time, too. So that's that's it. Well, this is uh, actually quite fascinating in terms of how you would perform, how you essentially get very tight deadlines and you get it together literally with a 
press of a button. So it's really, really cool to see how you're able to do all of that. Helpful tips for coordination for drummers and your story as well actually makes me think what is the future for you like like you mentioned setting the goal and working backwards so what's next what's the next steps what are you working towards so look i mean i've been extremely fortunate to have played let's see i played the winter olympics i um i've played lincoln center carnegie hall royal albert hall Lollapalooza, warp tour i've done like tons of the world's biggest stages i have yet to play msj madison square garden so I'm basically, look, I'm, I'm signed to a major label now. I'm stoked about that. Uh, they sent me their entire remix list of everything that I could remix. I picked out 40 tunes coming up that I'm able to like, I, I mean, some really good ones. I'm stoked about Shout by Tears for Fears, one of my favorite tunes. Stoked I'm going to do something crazy with that. Um, I've got, you know, tons and tons of my own records. I mean, Get Tough, you know, went viral. That's a big sports anthem. Say Less, Be More, that's very EDM. Um, Zombie Gorpedo, which is a hilarious tune, <laughs> you know, but it's basically a, a fun, spooky EDM tune, very heavy drop that got put in a movie coming up. Um, let's see, what else? The uh, What other tracks? There's a bunch of, I mean, Something Remix already came out. That's the one I'm promoting right now. But having all of that, if you work backwards, look, has... I think here, here's the thing with success. This is something that um, we all have to agree. You have to find the truth in some stuff. If you look around in any room that you're in, right? You look around and you go like, all right, here's a, here's a mic stand. Can you or me make a mic stand from nothing right now? The answer is no. Like I don't have metalworking skills. I don't have the ability to engineer all those little, you know, doodads that'll make it actually stay. And a bunch of people like way smarter and spend a ton of time over many years to perfect this thing. And now it's a really cool thing. That's just one thing, a microphone, Jesus, there's a capsule and you got to balance everything and the whole thing. Sometimes it doesn't work like at the beginning when we're trying to figure it out, you know, but those are things other people have played Madison Square Garden sold out. A ton of people have actually done it from all walks of life, every shape and color and everything. They've done it before. So it's definitely doable. So yeah, you can go like, oh my God, this guy's crazy. He wants to play MSG. Yeah. So what do you need to do MSG? I don't know. Billy Joel has how many hits? Michael Jackson had how many hits? All right. So you have to write I don't know. I would say if you write a hundred hits and 10 pop off massively worldwide, you have enough excitement around you to at least try to do it. <laughs> you know? So the idea yeah, is yeah. I'm only seven or eight tunes in. I think I'm eight tunes in at this point. So I need another bunch of tunes till I hit over a hundred. That's step one, right? And once they're good enough and you put them out, you promote them, you get them in, you know, podcasts and radio and TV shows and all that stuff. And the culmination of that, you know, as long as you're seeing the numbers go up, which for me, it's been going up because I've been very calculated. Okay. Instagram needs to be this. Okay. TikTok needs to be that. All right. Keep on pushing, keep on pushing. Over time, I really do feel like the fan base, as I continue doing what I'm doing, will continue to grow to the point where Look, MSG is only 20,000 people. And look, 
if you have you know cheaper tickets maybe they're only 50 bucks instead of 14,000 for Taylor Swift <laughs> that's actually true <laughs> wow. Taylor Swift two tickets went for 14,000 so 7,000 each so it's not going to be that for me but if you have like $60 tickets or something you know I'm sure that, you know, some of my 700,000 followers will show up, you know, from around the world. And then that's just the, look, if, even if I have to hand sell them, I'll figure it out. But that's my big goal is to basically play by myself a full night at MSG, sold out 20,000 people and have enough hits to be able to do it, you know? So I have to get the hits first, but to finish them, get them out and continue to promote and market and, and that whole thing. And then from there, you know, MSG. And then I haven't played the Summer Olympics. That'd be cool. And then I haven't played the Super Bowl. Like those are the three, but MSG's first, that's New York City. That's a really big famous venue, but you know, that's that's a vibe. But I've toured, um, I think it, yeah. I just passed 31 countries. I just hit 31 countries the other day. Uh, I did like 10 country tour that I just got off of. And then I did a bunch of Europe last year in November, um, 43 US states, 250 records at this point. So I definitely put in the time. And I, by putting in the time, I'll say this too, like right out of college, I joined bands and I slept on floors, like straight out the gate. And uh, the only time I didn't sleep on the floor was one time we randomly begged for a room you know, with some random person at the, the show and we came in and it was just 10 cats and cat piss everywhere. And I was oh. like, guys, I'm, <laughs> this is my line. I slept in the hot van, left the windows open. It was 90 degrees and I was sweating um. all night, but that was, you know, that's, that's where I started, put all the work in there. And now, you know, doing what it is I'm doing, I'm, I'm coming from a place of um, a lot of gratefulness, to just still be able to be doing what I do. But, you know, I put a lot of time, effort and hard work in also. So it is really cool to have that be met with, you know, fan and crowd excitement and even getting on shows like this. It's, it's been really cool. So how people can find out more about you. It's been a fascinating conversation. Really interesting. I appreciate you going a bit deeper in terms of how you improve and how you work on yourself as well. That was really fascinating for me. How can people find you? So I know you are on Instagram and TikTok. So how can people find you? It's literally every single site is the same. It's Drumageddon, D-R-M-A-G-D-N. It should be right behind me. D-R-M-A-G-D-N. All one word and everything, Drumageddon. Um, and that's Instagram, that's TikTok, that's YouTube, that's Spotify, um, that's Facebook, that's Twitter, which is now X. Um, it's everywhere. But something is the big new single very proud of it it came out really really cool love the beatles and uh, i might even do here comes the sun and i might do um while my guitar gently weeps next we'll see you know uh, i'll try to skew it even younger than the 45 and 65 i'm sure there's there are some people who are in that demographic that did like it but a lot of them were like don't touch the beatles like all right i won't <laughs> I already did though. So, but um, yeah, it's all, all those sites and everything, but definitely check out the music videos on, on YouTube and definitely, you know, stream it on Spotify, save it to your playlist and everything. If you dig it um, and a lot more coming, basically I'm constantly putting out content. I'm constantly putting out, you know, vertical videos and horizontal videos and, 
you know, an entire team of people helped me with the, the whole digital marketing aspect and everything. So it's been really cool. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Drum again, thanks for joining me. It's been fantastic. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Thanks, man. Peace.